The following is paid for by the Coalition for a Better Hollywood. For decades, Big Movie has had Hollywood studios in their back pocket. They spend millions to get you to spend billions on movies that are nothing more than sequels, reboots, remakes, reimaginings, Oscar cliché and January releases. Big movie lobbyists have all but ensured original film ideas are ignored, forgotten, or maybe not even real. Are they feature films? Are they quality flicks? Are they real motion pictures? You're soon to be, if not already favorite movie podcast stands with the little movies. Help put an end to big movies cinematic censorship and listen to the pop-up film cast every Tuesday wherever honest hard-working podcasts can be found. We are the pop-up film cast, a proud member of the Podfix network, and we support this message. Before we get started, um, I just have to wonder, what did you think about like the gimmick of like showing things backwards, interacting with things going forward. I I think you're right in that it's a gimmick. I right completely unnecessary, hard to follow, um, confusing, kind for, of kind for, of full of itself for the fa- sake of con- right for the sake of confusing the audience so that he could feel superior. I personally I thought it was a cheap trick, and below. Nolan's filmmaking ability. It's below anyone's filmmaking ability. Agreed. Anyone who would do something like that. No to- s- no to- self-respecting artist. Exactly. Total hack move. Hello and welcome to the Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I'm the dad. I'm Austin Rude. I'm the son. And I'm also the reason we had to take last week off. Eh, water under the bridge, my friend. Just wanted to address it. Yeah, yeah. I was I, sick. We're better now. Uh, it's been, It's been a really weird month. I did talk about this a little bit on Twitter. Um, thank you for everybody who reached out and and, you know, supported our decision to... Take the time, take care of ourselves, get healthy. 
but I'm, I'm glad our employers could give us the week off. I am glad we have people who aren't shouting at us and accusing us of pod fading and, and flaking out that, that our listeners are great and, and supportive of, of us needing a little bit of time and understanding that, that life happens. This has been a hectic, busy month. We have people from out of town. Uh, Logan's graduating. Uh, some stuff around the house has been uh, neglected and needing to be done. My work year is ending, so your, it's getting your busier. End of work year. My work year is still busy, and uh, and then you got sick, and we've we've missed a couple of weeks here recently. Um, we're doing our best to stay on top of it, but uh, you know, such is life. Things happen. Exactly. And our our first season was you know filmed in a pandemic year, like it. I feel like things are <laughs> more things bit, are cropping up now. It's where a little it's bit like, slower, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's fair. Um, in our last couple week gap, uh, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Uh, consuming. There's a lot. I I actually don't know what to pinpoint. Uh, okay. Um, I'll throw something at you in a minute. Let me just run down. Okay. Uh, yeah. A couple of my things. I watched uh, the Star Wars Clone Wars, uh, the old, the Jendi Tartakovsky two-dimensional micro-series. Right, not uh, the... Uh, before the big Clone Mandalorian Wars. Mandalorian yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. prequel. Uh, I just watched that this week, and I haven't seen that in years. It's great. It's on Disney+. Plus. And I started re-watching season eight of The Simpsons because uh, Zeng This talked me into that. Um, season eight specifically. Season eight specifically, and there is a reason. It's referenced in a recent Zeng this episode I did about Jurassic Park three. Okay, uh, where an episode from that came up, and uh, we're diving in. So yes, I also watched Jurassic Park three, um, and it is as boring as I remember it being. Well, you know, they can't all be great. Exactly. Um. But the one thing that I wanted to shout out specifically that I know you watched, um, because I caught a little bit of it too, is a show called Kim's Convenience. That's right, yeah. On, uh, are you watching, is that on Netflix? It is on Netflix. Uh, it's a Canadian show made by the CBC. It's like their broadcasting right. corporation. Uh, and it's just like this fun little comedy, like... It's a family of Korean immigrants who run a convenience store, right? Yeah, they're first, second generation. Right. uh, And, like, it's just, it's a mix of their culture, but, like, that's not really, like, the focus of the show. It's just kind of there. This is what I wanted to talk about, is why this show struck me. First of all, uh, with a very couple exceptions... I've not laughed at a sitcom the way I, I laughed at, at this one in a long time. This is a really, like, legitimately funny show. It's it's a lot of, uh, like, subtle physical comedy. Right. So, like, like the first time I watched it, actually, because I tried watching it over a year ago, and I just didn't get into it. Right. After the first few episodes, I was like, nothing's happening. But then uh, I was just flipping through Netflix, and I was like, okay, I'll put it on again. And... Like, this time it caught me, and I was like, it being nothing is the point. Right. 
And right. so, yeah, so I'm I'm enjoying it a See, lot. See, now more. you get what Seinfeld was 20 years ago, was just the, the mundane, everyday life, and look how ridiculous this is. That's right. This is Canadian, Korean, this is Korean, Can- uh, <laughs> Korean Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Um, What's the deal with Korean airport food? What's the food? deal with Korean barbecue? No, it's... Um, uh, the thing that struck me about it, besides that, and I've heard people talk about this show for a while, but just because I don't watch sitcoms, I haven't seen it, and I thought it would be something like Fresh Off the Boat, which I don't particularly enjoy. I know Fresh Off the Boat has a fan base. I just don't think it's that funny. I, you know, I think Randall Park is is funny on his own. Something about that show just doesn't gel with me. Yeah, it's, it's in line with, like, uh... It's a very playing it safe kind of network sitcom. Right. You know. But I I really was struck by like this show is about Korean immigrants and uh, first generation American kids and the culture clash there. And that's the only time that this show is about race or culture at all. It's not like we're discriminated against, we're this, we're that, we're... It's not like, look at us, we're being diverse. It's none of these, like, corporate checkbox things. It's just a sitcom that takes place in this sort of Korean immigrant community. Right. And it takes these stereotypes of immigrant store owners. Um, and this this struck me as, as particularly brilliant because I think a lot of times people are, let's steer clear of these stereotypes. I've delivered to Asian immigrant liquor stores, convenience stores for a long time. A lot of those stereotypes are in place because they're based on on some very real sort of generalizations that actually do exist. Well, it's it's like the same way we generalize about like uh, depression era old people like hoarding things or like being stingy. Like it's the same thing. It's part of Pe- the culture come from Pol- right. and immigrating that gives you these values. I'm, I, let me let me finish so it doesn't okay, just sorry. sound like I go, yeah, all stereotypes are true. No, no, no. Because th- what this show does in, in instead of being afraid to have these stereotypes there, they kind of lean in and go, yeah, these are real. But also, these people are like fully fleshed out people as well. They're not only these stereotypes. They're 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 showing uh what Kim's convenience is doing is showing like, yeah, these are three dimensional people. Yes, some of these stereotypes are real, but there's a person behind this. He's a mm-hmm. he's a, a shopkeeper. Yes, that's a stereotype in and of itself. He's a shrewd businessman. He is he's a little stingy. He's this, he's that. He's also a father who loves his children. He's also a member of this community. He's a member of this church. He's a, you know, like, and Mm -hmm. it's just, I think it does a great job of, of portraying uh, an immigrant family and all the fully realized things that go into that. It's a fully three-dimensional portrayal of this immigrant family that also happens to be very funny. I I think that's what you get when you uh, when you get an actual immigrant writing your show, right? And I think that's what this is. I'm not positive, but like, 
I, I very well, there's much no doubt. Way, there's no way this is an outsider perspective on that. Because, like I'm saying, mm-hmm. I can see from the outside some of these stereotypes that are true. And I can also see that these are people. But I don't know the mechanics of, like, an immigrant community in a city. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the dynamics that work within that. But I do I do find it very interesting um, that all those dynamics are there without the show being preachy or... Um, or without it feeling like a corporate checklist of diversity. It's just a very organically funny show about immigrants. Right. And 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 I was really struck by it. I was very surprised how much I, I enjoyed the show. I'm glad you were watching it and that I just kind of wandered in. Yeah, it was just on on the TV. Yeah. And you, you kind of sat down and you just stayed there. I, I felt like I you weren't planning to. Up, no, exactly. That's exactly right. And I just ended up watching a few episodes and... Uh, I'm like, this is a really funny show. This is really good. Mm-hmm. You you should have seen, you missed out on the episode where uh, there's like this white savior teacher that the daughter has okay. in her college. <laughs> and she goes into the store and like her child is just a complete, like he's not parented. So the, <laughs> the dad is mean to the fo- to the child. And so the white savior thinks that he's abusive it's... and like gives her better grades and it's, it's a like, whole thing. Like the overly liberal, I don't give my kid boundaries kind right. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, I think I'm helping. Right. But yeah. that's, that's really funny. just pandering. Uh, I'll probably see it because I feel like this is one of those shows like uh, like The Office that I find genuinely funny. Uh, and you can also just turn it on and it's in the background and you're watching, you're listening to it, you're experiencing the show. And it's not demanding a ton of attention from you. Mm-hmm. And you can still, like, really enjoy it on all its levels. So Yeah, I, um, I realized that, like, American sitcoms recently, like, they're all about, like, these big character arcs. Like, Superstore. Like, right. it's right. nothing major. Like, I like more The Good Place, where it's like, this is a story. It just happens to be a sitcom. Right. Uh, but, like... I also like this, where it's like, this is a sitcom. It's a sitcom, right. Don't look for anything deeper. It's just this picture of life. It's not like, yeah, there's not going to be a huge reveal at the end of it. Right. It's just going to... Like, that was people, uh, to take it back to Seinfeld, when Seinfeld ended, people expected this giant grand finale. And it's like, this is a week-to-week sitcom. There is, There are jokes that run throughout it, but it's sort of like, yeah, like... This isn't Avengers Endgame, which wasn't a reference anyone was making at the time. But, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, there is no, like, grand, huge finale to this. Yeah, I I feel like with uh, Seinfeld, it's like, the only way to end that is to just imply that this friend group continues being friends. uh, And that's kind of it. Kind of. They they did a a weird twist at the end, but it wasn't like... It was all a dream. It wasn't that. That would have been great, though. It's Newman's dream. I don't know who Newman is, so uh, anyway. the joke is yeah, lost like... on me. <laughs> All right, I'll watch Kim's Convenience if you watch Seinfeld. All right, well, uh, the sitcom exchange program. We're we're <laughs> born. It's being born out of this show. What uh, what did we watch this week? Uh, on a completely different uh, take from Kim's Convenience or anything like that, we watched. The 2020 science fiction spy action film Tenet. 
This movie features a CIA operative known as the protagonist who is recruited by an agency called Tenet to go on a mission that unfolds beyond real time. The film stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Kenneth Branagh, Dimple Kabadia, and Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine. Michael Caine. It was written and directed by Christopher Nolan, and this movie is insane. That's a word to describe it, I guess. It's not insane. There's a there's a very sound logic to this movie. This movie's a little hard to follow, though. It's it's not as hard to follow, I think, as uh, what's the other one? Inception. Really? You think I, so? I think so. I wow. maybe it's because I'm a time travel guy. Like, I like time travel. Stuff. I like time so travel like, as well. Yeah. So like, I was kind of able to follow most of this movie. I like, I think I think Inception is deceptively simple. I think it seems like it's confusing, but it's actually pretty straightforward. And um, I think this movie is very similar. I watch I watched this movie twice. And the second time around, it clicked in place much more. So I think this is a movie that is uh, a little uh, erratic. Mm -hmm. It's a little crazy. It's a little confusing. But on multiple viewings, I think things start to fall into place a little bit better. And I think Inception is very similar. I think... I think the more I watched Inception, the more I have realized how simple that movie actually is. Like, it has levels to it, but the plot of it is pretty linear. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just the way it's set up is strange. It is. Hard to follow. With this, I feel like the sci-fi aspects of it were simple to follow, but the spy stuff completely lost me. And that's partly because I just don't watch spy movies. Like... Right. I don't get anything out of them mostly, but yeah, I, I had some issues with this. Well, the, the the spy stuff, I get it because there's a lot of double crosses and things like that. It is a little more complicated than like your standard James Bond plot. Right. Because essentially what this movie is, uh, plot wise, is James Bond. I mean, John David Washington is playing a version of James Bond. The the badass who's also a very put together gentleman and a smooth talker and uh kind of undercover even though he's very obviously a spy and trying to be best friends with the most evil man in the world that's what this is and then nolan puts time travel in that and that's that's the only thing that separates this from being a james bond movie and I think that's why I have issue with this is that it's not a time travel movie. It's wasted time travel. There's so much potential in this movie that isn't tapped into and it bothers me. Okay. Uh, outside of just being a science lesson, uh, what do you think is, is missing from the time travel? Because I've, I feel like there is a lot of things that are tapped into. Well... Okay, so they introduce a lot of concepts that they don't pay pay up on. Like, uh, okay, so first off, I think they should have 
done the switch into the inverted world like halfway through that should have been the halfway point of this movie rather than like the last act uh you know when he's trying to save uh the abused wife Mm -hmm. um i think that should have happened earlier uh but more so like they they introduce concepts like you can't breathe um when you're in an inverted state right uh and if you touch your former self you'll die and like they don't show any of that or like they even say like like they say something about like the inverted bullets are more dangerous like you're gonna die right uh but that just kind of becomes a plot point we see it happen but we don't see like how it's more dangerous like they don't they don't show us like oh my god she's like horribly like I think it's the, well, they do talk about, like, it's the, the radiation or something, because the inverted things are irradiated. Okay. So, like, there is some mention of that. What My, my big thing where they don't follow up is when he first goes to Tenet, and they have the bullets, you know, the bullets that come up, like, from the table. Yeah. And they're wearing, like, these thick gloves because they're irradiated bullets. And then, like, there's no radiation protection for the entire rest of the movie. There's just, there, he's going in the machine, he's getting inverted, he's getting full-on doses of radiation, and he's just like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I guess. He just run around with it, like, oh no, this is totally cool. Um, no, I think some of that stuff, like the air, is there, and this is where I think the real genius of this movie and the time travel mechanics are. The air is introduced as you have to have air. And that gives him an excuse to have to be wearing the gas mask when he fights himself later, which is actually earlier, where he doesn't know it's him. And that sort of, that sort of way to, because otherwise he'd be like, well, why would he hide his face? And, And it just is sort of, I don't know. I feel like that's something that was in there. Um, I didn't feel like any of this stuff that necessarily, oh, also Robert Pattinson had to have his face hidden at the very end. Yeah. Um, when he was, when when he he was shot in the face. Right. Um, by the way, Robert Pattinson, if you still hate Robert Pattinson because he did vampire movies 20 years ago. You need to go watch some Robert Pattinson movies. He is great in this movie. I I don't know what else he's been in, but yeah, he's good. uh, Right. Like, watch this movie for starters. Uh, You know what I mean? He's done a bunch of stuff. He's done a bunch of, like, indie movies and things like that as well. Okay. Robert Pattinson's good. I, 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 I understand a lot of people wrote him off as like, oh, he's the vampire kid. Those movies are stupid. Therefore, he is stupid. Him and Kristen Stewart have both done a ton of shit since then, and they're both fine actors. It's so weird how, like, we hate the actors for that. It, it really not, is. Yeah. It, like, there's no other franchise I can think of like that. Like, No, we go the other way, where people expect Robert Downey Jr. to actually be Tony Stark. And it's like, Robert yeah. Downey Jr. has this huge body of work. He's not Tony Stark. He's an actor. He's playing a, a role, you know what I mean? And then all anybody really wants to see 
him, like Tom Holland does the, these other movies, and they're like, no, no, he's Spider-Man. I don't want to see him play this killer. And it's like, he's an actor. He's going to do different yeah. things. He, he's really <laughs> trying to avoid that. We I really think. we really pigeonhole people in good ways and, and bad ways. But I think Robert Pattinson was super charming in this movie, super dry, very, very spy-like, and very fun i thought he was a really fun addition to this movie yeah as he, the sidekick he added like a personality to things yeah and he was a good wrinkle in that like you you called it way early that when, that he was hired that, by him right he's recruited in the past and it's like oh my god how what a and really on the second watch it's one of those things where it's like oh those breadcrumbs are from the very beginning. He knew his drink order. Like, like right. I, it was one of those things I'm like, of course, I'm so dumb. How did I not see this? It's like watching Fight Club a second or third time, and you go, oh my God, they practically tell you at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, see, that's where my sci-fi knowledge comes in, because Doctor Who has that exact plot line. Like, the Doctor meets his wife, and she dies, but he has all of the rest of... His future is her past, and like okay. so they meet in the wrong order. But like it's the same as this movie where this movie does they become that. best friends, and then he dies, but he has him in the past. I think that's great. I think I, the way they say goodbye in this movie is it's heartbreaking and also like uh, forward looking too, because mm-hmm. you know, like oh, you get you get to meet him again. And and I think he knows what's coming. I think he oh, knows. Oh, he totally he's knows die. what's he he totally knows what's coming. That's the heartbreaking part of that is he, you you see him wrestle with that when he tells him goodbye. He's like, "Can we prevent things?" And Robert Pat, I kind of think Robert Pattinson's character Neil. I think he knows he's going to die too. That's I, that's what I mean. That's oh I, oh I thought you meant uh, the protagonist knows no, he's going to die. Yeah, obviously he knew, but like I I think I think he he knows he's going off to die, and he's like, yeah, we've had this adventure through time. I'll see you in the past. He, he, yeah, right. You'll see me again. Don't worry. And and it's it's a really it's a really wild. It says so much about his character that he just accepts fate. That mm-hmm. he doesn't really believe in the free will of things. That things that happen just happen, and no matter what what you do with the time, yeah. Um, which is the, I think, really interesting wrinkle of the time travel in this movie is it's just sort of like a mechanical process that's already predetermined. Right. I I kind of like the end. See, that's the thing is. The first half of this movie, I hate. The second half, I love. Why do you hate the first half of this movie? Because its only job is, like, being... I don't know. It only works on a second viewing, I think. Like, watching it the first time, it was so aggro... It's just exposition it's slow it's, a, it's stuff. all set up yes right and it's like you haven't given me a reason to care about this story you haven't given me like there's the opera scene at the beginning that's kind of cool it is cool they break that violin which is heartbreaking and it's like a split second <laughs> right. thing but i <laughs> no it is i, I, I will when, when he throws the cello down and stomps it i go man that's like thousands of dollars yeah. right there and that instrument's probably old as shit too like yeah it was sad it's the saddest thing in this movie but i don't know like it just didn't grab me i i think it was a 
I think it was mainly like the overload of spy stuff that I wasn't following okay. until the second half of the movie. So maybe if I rewatch it, but like I still think a movie's job in the beginning is to grab you on a first viewing. And if it doesn't do that, maybe it does it for other people. I but I think overall this movie, like a lot of people aren't going to grab on to the I beginning. Think, I think that's fair because I think if a movie can't get its hook in, I don't think it's necessarily a movie's job to do that, but I do think it works in a movie's favor if it can do that. For me, uh, it did grab a hold of me because I think John David Washington was so charismatic in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's so cool. I mean, he's he looks good in a suit. He's walking around doing spy shit. He's... You know, they're reverse bungee jumping up there to the... <laughs> and and I liked that reveal where she's like, no, I'm the arms dealer. Oh, yeah, that was good. I know. We're, I'm talking in fragments of movie here. And anyone who has not watched this movie doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about. But that whole scene in India where he first meets Neil and they reverse bungee jump. I'm like, that, that's a that's a cool sequence. It is. Um, And then you add in like all the heist stuff. There's like nine heists in this movie. And I only understood what was happening in, like, two of them. I, like, like, I had, I wrote down a note that, like, um, what was it? Uh, that I followed, uh, one of the heists, but not the uranium one. Okay. Like, like, cause they didn't explain what was, they right, just there, went straight There was no planning, it. they just go, we're gonna need four trucks and a fast car. Yeah, but, but when they broke into, like, the art uh dealership right. or whatever like yes. that was the freeport yes yeah that that i understood what was happening the freeport they, they told did, me that well the structure of them both was different i liked that they didn't show you uh the uranium heist that they didn't show the planning of that that we had to just go along with it and then as it came together you're like oh cool this i get it now um and the way they they structured the freeport one was we're going to talk about the planning of it as we're cutting to flashbacks of Neil going through it and explaining the layout. And I love that heist movie stuff. You're right. That is a better one. It's better executed. It's uh, more fun. And it builds attention. And I think more effort was put into it because sure. it's also tied into the future of the movie where they go there again and right. break in and it's them. And because them fighting them. Nolan likes big practical effects set pieces and he got to crash a fucking plane into a hangar. That's for, really for true. Movie, which was, I'm not going to lie, I, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is his version of the Dark Knight flipping the semi over or whatever big set pieces he likes to do. And he's just playing. But as it's playing out, I'm like, okay, this is... This is really badass. This <laughs> Someone is give him some more toys it because really, it's fun to watch. I, I loved it. I loved that scene. I love that set piece. I love how they introduced that too. How uh, he tells them, so I have an idea for how we're going to create yes. a distraction. <laughs> and like, he's like, that's the, th- the theatrical part is like, no, it's going to be a big plane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he says, you want to crash a plane? And he's like, well, not from the air. You know, like it's, right. it's this kind of. No, no, let's be reasonable. Let's just crash a plane on the ground into the <laughs> hangar. It's it's such a great... I think it's a great heist sequence. I think it's a great uh, action set piece. And I think it it leads to that that great fight. Right. The, the blending of backwards action 
and forwards action. I have no idea how they did it with except for maybe intense choreography of learning backwards movements. It is so good though. I it's have no so, idea. Yeah. So interesting to watch because your brain is telling you that some that's not right. It's wrong, yeah. As you're but the you're watching okay, guy in the gas mask. That's not right. Uh John David Washington. That's right. right. And they're yeah. clashing and it does something to your brain that dis your it's an uncanny valley kind of thing but I, in the, in the best way possible. I almost couldn't even tell like what is he doing yes. in reverse? Yeah. Like what is this? But then I, you see it from the other way later in the movie sense. and and then yes. John David Washington is the one who's backwards and and the oh my god it's so it's such a wild ride both times that you see the fight. Right. And and the music when it goes in reverse yes. is I want to talk about my the music favorite a little thing. bit. Go 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 on that because I, it's it's well, so unique. It does sound backwards. It does. I I don't know if it actually I is, don't know if it is either. But uh like really that the fight scene at the end, the war really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that is the most amazing use of it like when they're flipping between they've got the two teams uh the reconnaissance team uh one in the past one you have the going forward one going forward one going backwards. so then the one going backwards knows how the forward team plays out and then they run through backwards and set everything up and it's I just confused myself saying that sentence, but it's confusing. (laughs) Uh, But like the way they make it so clear when they're switching between scenes of like, you can hear the normal action music and you can hear the reverse, like the right. It's, it's just really cool. Uh, And it's the only time that I think the sound mixing in this works because this movie is a nightmare to hear. I, I think uh, yeah the the HBO uh, transfer I think our base was up on the TV a little bit too much I watched this with headphones a second time through and it clarifies so much it it filters out so much of like the low end there's okay. you, you know you know uh, Nolan to go back to Inception the the big yeah. he loves that big bassy sound and what that does I think sometimes it muddies up I mean look at the Bane thing <laughs> all the mask stuff people are wearing masks through this movie talking on radios and nolan doesn't adr any of that shit he just uses that audio so mm-hmm. then it's all muddy in the mix and it's it's hard to hear sometimes and it, it can get very confusing uh the other thing i like is that they color coded forwards and backwards yeah really even the well. watches yeah the watches the armbands but also earlier um, when, uh, Kenneth Branagh shoots, shoots Cat, shoots the wife, um, on his side of the mirror, it's blue. The lighting is blue. And on the other oh. side of the mirror, the lighting is all red. So I didn't catch that. Yes, all through the movie, it's all color coded. And, and that's, I think that's the genius of it is that you don't catch it and you don't think about it unless it, it just clicks with you at a certain point when you're if you watch it analytically, but, um, is that he just does that. And I think your brain picks up on it. I think Nolan trusts your brain to pick up on the music, even if you aren't thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 
he kind of lets you figure it out. Right. Which is good in some parts, bad in some parts. It you're not wrong. It's a it's a there's a lot going on in this movie and I'm not I'm not sure how user friendly it is. I think a lot of people who early reviewed this movie and didn't like it, I think some of it was due to expectation about it. I think some of it it was just that. This is kind of a confusing mess on first viewing mm-hmm. because there is a complicated spy plot and there's a time travel plot where a lot of times you're not sure where in time you are mm-hmm. if they don't take a moment to specifically tell you yes we came back 3 days or whatever right yeah uh like there's a part in this movie where i'm like wait they're going forwards again Cause like they literally just don't show you, uh, right. like when they're on the boat and I don't know how to explain where in the plot it is, but like it, it shows you the first few times they go, okay, he's in, he's inverted now. Now he's going forward again. Now he, and now he's inverted. And then like, they didn't show you that invert. You're talking about after the, after the airport, the second time, the airport. Yes. When they're on the ship and the ship's going backwards, but... But up until then, we've been going forwards. We we had been going backwards, and then they flipped and were going forwards. Uh, they left the airport going forwards. Yes. And then the net... You're right. It's a smash cut to... Uh, to them... Uh, does he go to India first? He does he go does. to India. He goes to India, and they are... <laughs> they they are uh yeah they're going forwards at that point and then it smash cuts to the boat and the, and, bo- the boat's and going backwards but he's going forward and that's a great shot because he's he, he had to be doing he had to walk up the stairs backwards when they filmed it it's it's so strange okay yeah. yeah i and i think you're supposed to like piece that together because you see like the waves going backwards right. and you see him uh like from the beginning uh montage exercising on yeah. the other boat right but like i didn't piece it together and then like i i just saw it as like b footage and then i realized later right. and yeah it's a show-off shot at the same time right um but it's but it's so so good um it is good i and then they're going forwards again because that's when they're mobilizing all the troops. Mm-hmm. So they they went back and then he tells her, he's like, keep going back another day. We're going to invert here and start going forwards again. It's it's just like so strange. I see this movie is really good, but it also messes itself up, I feel like, in ways. it Like the good aspects in one way, like the good spy stuff kind of hurts the good sci-fi stuff and vice versa a little bit a little bit if you if you um i think i think it helps me because i've i've seen so many james bond movies in my life that i understand the formula of it and that's all this is this is just a james bond movie and it is like introduction to the woman who's the girlfriend of the big bad guy who's sitting on nukes that bond has to get and then it culminates in this giant invasion style you know big troops come in it's a big war it's a big action set piece that's hard to follow 
and that's what this does. But then it, I think where it trips itself up, and it doesn't trip itself up, it trips the audience up. And I that's where I think, like, I'm on the fence. It doesn't work with us. It works against I, us. I am so on the fence because I did like this movie better the second time, and I feel like the more I watch this movie, the more I'm going to like it. But that doesn't mean I think it executes itself flawlessly. Mm-hmm. This is one of those where I'm kind of coming down on it the same way I come down on 2001. I love it. It's very interesting. It brings up a lot of interesting questions and makes me think. But as a narrative, its job to the audience is to communicate with some clarity what's going on and be able to be followed. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to spoon feed it, but I I think it's it's self-indulgent is oh, what it, it is. It is a little self-indulgent. I I I absolutely can't deny that. I think this is Nolan going, oh, Inception wasn't weird enough for you, huh? Well, watch this. And he just kind of turns it up to 11. Where um, I, I think there's a middle ground in there somewhere. You know, something that yeah. is a little wilder than Inception, but still able to be followed in the way that Inception is. I just realized you could compare this movie to what's the, okay, so I don't remember the name of the movie, but it's written by like an actual physicist. Oh, Primer. Uh, Primer, yeah. yeah. I was thinking something with printers. Yeah, Yeah. Primer. Uh, (laughs) It's it's about working at Kinko's. Yeah, (laughs) I, I, that movie is confusing. For sure, yeah. I, it's kind of in the same way. I, I had the, the same kind of flashbacks. I think this is easier to follow than Primer. Right. Because it's, it's not written by someone who knows all the technicalities. It, exactly. Of... Exactly. It's not a it's not a a physics or a time engineering lesson. It all, is a narrative at the same although, time. Although, can I praise this movie for like Please. using real like science, like they talk oh, about I think, how uh, I think there's a lot there. Yeah, it's reversing. Uh, what is it called? The ionons of like the inverted stuff, and that's why it makes hot things cold. Right. And like I didn't understand that the first viewing, but then like I kind of the explosion about it. The yeah. explosion that gives him hypothermia because the the heat transfer the explosion pulled all the heat away from him. Yeah, it, it took out yes. of his body. It's that's so cool, and it's like kind of. Kind of like dark matter, uh, it's which an- is antimatter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's the reverse. It's you can't touch it or you'll die. Like it's the same concept. Well, everything about um, when he first becomes inverted and he goes, "I'm going out in the world," and they're like trying to explain to him like the physics are different. Gravity is is different you know Mm -hmm. uh and he's like can i drive a car they're like it'll handle different it's not going to handle the way you expect it to you know everything Mm -hmm. that is that you know about moving through the world is backwards now wind resistance yes and 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 he's like well how is it he and uh the the lady tells him uh what what's the line it's something like you're inverted the world isn't like yes it's you're the backwards one 
and and it's not working with you, which plays into that bigger plot that it, that doomsday machine, the MacGuffin machine, is wanting to reverse, to invert the entire world. And the the arms dealer in India, she tells him something later in the movie uh, when they're talking about like the paradoxes of oh if you do this this will happen uh, and he like outsmarts her and she goes oh now you're thinking in inverted terms right like now you're changing how you see the world y- yes. yes like it's really you got to change your thought it, process to understand. Uh, the reality that you're in. It is so much about mindset, which is an interesting play on, on time travel is this isn't just changing the mechanics of when you are in space time, you have to change your perspective in order to just get your head around when you are in space time. Like when he walks out and the birds are landing like the birds are yeah. flying backwards and stuff. Like immediately you're like, uh, oh, that's weird. And then I don't know if it's just, again, the way he moves, you know, backwards, the way he like walks through a puddle, thing, all this small things stuff. Aren't, the way it's shot, everything, you feel disoriented. You feel what he feels. Mm-hmm. This, this movie is shot in such an interesting way. When it's backwards. It kind of gives you like an overload. You're like, make it stop. Uh, Yes, exactly. Which is, I think, appropriate because that Nolan is trying to put you in his, we're trying to see things from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And I I think it works so brilliantly. The parts of this movie, like I said, I don't think this movie executes perfectly. And I think it is going to leave some people behind. And I think some people are going to leave this movie like hating it. I think that's okay, too. I think that's okay, too. But the parts of this movie that work really, really work for me. That's a super interesting movie. And that's why I want more of the interesting. Like, the sci-fi, I think... I'm biased, okay? But, like, it's infinitely more complex and interesting than this dumb James Bond plot. But that's when you get... that's, That's what will turn it into primer. Is now it becomes a movie... Like... The, the part of... Primer has almost no plot to it. Um, Primer is just a movie about the mechanics of time travel and how it eats itself. And I think without a plot, I think he had to have... I mean, if you look at the plot of Inception, that plot is simple. Let's implant an idea in this kid's brain. That's it. That's it. It's a heist right. movie about breaking in and planting something. Um, everything that happens around it, the mechanics of dreams and the mechanics of the subconscious, that's the complicated part. And I think this is too. I think if you watch this again, you'll follow the plot of the spy thing and go, oh, this is really simple. And then it's just about layering on uh, time travel and time jumps back and forth. Okay. I I see what you're saying. I... I I wasn't invited to the second viewing, so I missed out on I'm that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, Some I, of us have to work, Dad. Yeah. I know you have a week off, That's right. but we can't all. That's right. <laughs> Here, let me. Uh, I I will. I will say the the thing you need to pay attention to is when he goes to Tenet, and the the scientist there is explaining this mm-hmm. stuff. I I liked that scene. I like that too. 
she has one line where she goes, don't think too hard about it. And that's Christopher Nolan telling the audience, just go along with this, piece it together later, but don't overthink how the mechanics work. And that's the same thing that, uh, have you seen Looper with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he's the hitman? Potentially, but I don't remember it. Okay. There is a, there's a point where his older, older self, he's hunting his older self. Okay. And, uh, they sit down and they start talking about the mechanics of time travel. And, uh, Bruce Willis as his older self goes, look, if we get into this, we're going to be laying out straws and doing this goofy diagram shit all day. Don't think. And that's the same thing. That's Ryan Johnson saying, don't think too hard about the paradoxes we're creating. We're telling a story here. And and I think that's that's essentially what... I think the time travel stuff makes a lot of sense uh, when it's broken down here. But I also think Nolan doesn't want you to get too distracted with looking for holes mm-hmm. in, in, in the logic of it. You know what can, I mean? Can I say, this kind of leads into my next topic, because one thing that I think... It doesn't need to be the main focus, but they should have fleshed out a little more is uh, the paradox of people in the future killing people in the past. Yeah. Like, I wanted to talk about that because there's this big, uh, I feel like, missed emotional opportunity of the plot of this movie is basically time is going forward, right? And we are destroying the environment we live in and people in the future came up with the technology to reverse time to essentially turn to undo the damage not necessarily undo the damage uh but undo the people who lived in the past and start living in a reverse they want to invert the entire time the entire world right so that they can live backwards and keep the human race going almost uh and it's like the desperation there and like the reason behind it's so interesting it is and no yeah i didn't even like fully understand it until i watched i read an article uh earlier this week and it like brought that up and i was like oh my god you're right like there's this huge like there's an environmental aspect to this right but not just like the emotional component of like i'm trying to do what i can to undo your damage right the protagonist in this is in the wrong um potentially I, yes. he is still saving the world but he the is world saving the world is doomed to end the world is doomed to end but this is this is the the point of it is if they do if they do reverse time that undoes all of existence. It doesn't fix anything. No one knows that. Nobody does know Probably, that. but like no one knows for sure. But also Tenet was created in the future where they potentially would know that. I guess. Tenet was created to combat this thing that was happening simultaneously. Right. It's kind of like in Terminator, like the the people who stopped the Terminators. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everything uh, comes back. So Tenet is actually going backwards as well. But mm-hmm. um, only combating this one problem. I don't know. I like that uh, they talk about the environmental component of it um, without making this movie about environmentalism. Without making this a preachy movie 
that's because that's not no, what this movie is no, about. No, I'm I'm not talking about environment. Like I am an environmentalist, so like I understand. I'm not. I litter daily. Okay, well, <laughs> my my point is the emotional component of it should be there a little more. Like the they don't grapple with it, and there's this similar thing with like this movie really drew me in in the beginning where the protagonist is like killed. Like, he's tortured, his teeth are pulled out, uh, and then he takes the cyanide pill and wakes up, and the CIA is like, uh, that was all a test. And he, like, looks horrified, but then he still goes along with it. Like, Like, there's these hints of emotional story beats that could really be, like, fleshed out, and I don't want them to overtake the plot of this movie, but, like... I feel like there's a better way to show it and get the audience engaged with these characters. I feel like they're... I, I feel the opposite of you. Not not the total opposite, but I think that... Um, that him going along with it, that him just doing his job, I kind of think that falls right in line with, like, he's a government guy. He's a spook. He's a... He's a a guy who kills people for a living. Like, this is what he does. It's not about moral judgment or or taking a stand one way or the other. But I do like that where he does connect is with people. He connects with Kat. He connects with Neil. His his goodbye to Neil at the end is super emotional. I He's, like, almost crying because he understands, like, Neil's going off to die now. And... That's terrible. And then, like we said, Neil's like, you'll meet me. Like, don't worry. It's it's this really... He he feels bonded to people. Um, but mm-hmm. the bigger the bigger picture stuff that he's doing, I feel like he does have a disconnect from. And that's what makes him like killer spy dude who kicks the shit out of people in the kitchen. I, I know it's there. I feel like the only one that worked for me was with the uh, abused wife, like, uh, where he promises her to get rid of the painting, and then he doesn't, and, like, then he feels obligated to help. Right. Uh, and it kind of becomes this, like, thing for him. Uh, like, I feel like that worked, and the emotional beats there. Yeah, there's a complicated relationship with her. Yeah, I feel like he's trying to keep a distance, but he also feels like he has to save her. Right, because he kind of used her. Yeah. In the same way that the antagonist used her. And uh, his outcome with her is very different than also um, he used... Uh, what's her name? The uh, The Indian woman, the arms dealer. Like, he used her, too, and at the end, he comes back and murders her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he comes back and is just like, oh, no, we're done. And uh, he's like, what does he say? He says something like, um, the whole time you thought I was working for you, uh, but I think we both realize that we're both working for me or something like that. And then he, he puts her down. You know, he just is like... Um, yeah, I feel like he used both of those women and one of them he saved and one of them he killed. And, but one and of he, them was also 
a crooked. Sure, that's what I'm saying. He made a yeah. he made a moral judgment on people at that point. You know what I mean? Right. Not not on causes, not on big big picture saving the world shit. He made a judgment on on people. And I like that. I, I like that too. I think I, it's I just. I, I don't know. I feel like there was a little more that could have been done. Probably. Um, we're talking about a pretty packed movie already, but um, yeah. I will throw another movie. This reminds me of in terms of timeline is Memento. Have you seen Memento? I have seen the Brooklyn Nine Nine parody of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Where, where it goes uh, backwards? What? No. That that's the. When you don't remember anything and you've got all of the... Uh, the tattoos. Tattoos, yeah. yeah. Well, the the way that movie is shot is it is backwards. Oh, okay. It shows you the scene. It shows you the resolution scene. And then it shows you the scene before that. And then it shows you the scene before that. Because this guy has amnesia where like every 10 minutes he his brain resets. So the movie's him piecing together. The, the movie is you piecing together his journey seeing from the end where did he come from all the way back and it is very confusing for a while and then you kind of fall into it and i feel like the time jumps in this were the same sort of disorienting yeah um yeah i i really like we didn't talk about the car chase scene but like that was one of my favorites yeah that was really Uh, good like the the moment i saw like the crashed car I was like, okay, so that's, we'll get to that later. Right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then we did. uh, And it was cool. It was. It was great. Um, The, the, uh, every, like, reveal of, like, oh, here comes a car running backwards on the, it's like, oh, shit. It's running, the timelines are running into each other here. It's getting muddy. And, um, and then, like, the, the backwards talking on the radio and through the translate, like all of it just sort of merged together. And it does that same, that disorienting thing, which I think is completely on purpose and used to great effect to disorient the audience. It is. And I think the moment where they switch, like, uh, so the ridiculous villain, uh, when, when he's like, when he shoots the girl, uh, like that scene, I don't know how to explain it. Like, uh, we we first see it with the protagonist going normal, and like the conversation doesn't make sense, and then it starts to right, and then we see uh, the bad guy go across, and then we see from his perspective in like the future of the timeline, right. but in the past of the movie where he is doing the negotiation and from from seeing the first bit we un it informs the second bit and so we hear the same words again but exactly. it makes more sense uh and then we see the protagonist go through it's, i don't know it's it really works for me and i i just wish that would have come sooner as a way to like because that really explained the mechanics of how this movie works better than any exposition that's a, would. That's a super legit complaint. I would say the other version of that we get is the airport fight. But the, those two ends mm. of it are spaced out. They kind of bookend right. everything that's happened in the middle of the movie. I, I get I get I get mm. where you're coming from where 
it's very confusing up until we see that back-to-back, that comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bad guy, by the way, Kenneth Branagh is a is the bad guy in this. He's great. He's a great Bond villain <laughs> because he is a legit like Shakespearean actor. He's ridiculous. Yeah. No, he he really is like a stage. He's like a very well renowned like classically trained actor. Wow. So that, here that checks out. They right. It's it's um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Picard. Patrick Stewart. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, Ian McKellen. I heard them both on Mark Maron's podcast talking about like why they do like the X-Men movies and, and Star Trek and things like that. They're like, he's like, you're Shakespearean. Like you do these kind of nerd culture comic book movies. And, and they're like, it's big and bold. It's like, sh- you know, it's. Shakespeare is the trash it's of its day. Kind of. Not just that it's the trash of its day, but it's. It's over, over the, top. the top and overly mm-hmm. poetic and, and they're like, and it's costumes and it's all, uh, Patrick Stewart talked about like the bridge of the enterprise being like a Shakespearean stage, like in the round, like he's like, it, there's so many parallels to it. So <laughs> I can see how like Kenneth Branagh would be a really great, um, like Bond villain type where it's over the top and he's chewing scenery, but he does it. He also has like this weird, like quietness to him he's really good in this he's really fun it really like it was cheesy but it also scared me a little it's it's, it's menacing uh kenneth branagh you will know from uh murder on the orient express he played uh the detective poirot Um, oh wow he directed the first thor movie um, he's done, uh, a lot of Shakespearean oh, movies. Oh, he's in, uh, Harry Potter too, right? I don't know. Yeah, cause, he? yeah. Yes, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, looking through it right here. Uh, also in the Will Smith classic, Wild Wild West. He, he looks different in all of those. Right, yes. I, uh, he's, he's recognizable, but you know, he will also like sort of disappear into things. Kind of a chameleon. A little bit. Um, I, I so, really yeah. like that murder on the Orient Express. I like that movie way. too. I think that movie is super fun. And, uh, I think, is he in the, the next one? Death on the Nile? I would assume so. They uh, teased it at the end, but like, I haven't heard anything production wise coming from that at all. I saw like a a teaser trailer for it but did um, covid kind of postpone that think so um but i hope i hope he is uh yeah 2022 that is looking like and he is directing that as well the the movie world is healing excellent uh but no i like kenneth brown a lot and uh, maybe we will do murder, uh, murder on the uh, murder, murder. murder. Oh, he directed, he directed murder on the Orient Express as well. Oh, um, directed answer. Directed I always feel like that's an interesting dynamic. Like when you have to action and then run, and then run. to the camera. <laughs> you don't think he calls it from his starting point? You think he's sitting in the chair with the bullhorn? I it's, and then he rips his ascot <laughs> off and runs on the stage. It's like when you're playing chess with yourself and you got to run to each side of the board. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, You got anything else on this one? We're we're talking about other movies and Kenneth Branagh at this point, but that um, that usually uh, signals that usually signals the end of it. Uh, Um, I I did want to just like point out uh, 
I, I said this already, but it truly is an exposition nightmare. It's, the it, there's a ton of exposition. I like, sure. like, I think I clocked it when we were like uh, watching it the first time. I was like, this is the fourth exposition scene. It's it's a lot, and especially in the first half, I think. But even mm-hmm. in the second half, at, b- before every action set piece, there is a sit down where they talk it out. Mm-hmm. And they tell you what's going to happen because I think Nolan kind of knows it's going to be hard to follow, and you're not going to follow the time travel mechanics if we don't sit you down and explain this to you. I will say, towards the end, like the exposition, like there's the obvious exposition of like setting up. I need to meet this person to go see the art, but like there's smaller stuff like her at the dinner, uh, the wife talking about like their trip. And then that becomes relevant later right. at the... Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, they kind of utilize it to the best, but it is just so chock Like, when she tell, Yeah, like, there's no reason for her to tell... A complete stranger. ...about her abusive relationship yeah. with her husband, who's a, who murders people for a living. Or about um, her intimate thoughts about <laughs> seeing a woman jump off the yes. boat and feeling jealous. <laughs> right. what? Like, I was like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. But that's the James Bond aspect of it. That, that's, that is such... When you accept that this is a, a Bond movie, like, that all makes sense. Because formulaically, that's just how it goes. And you just have to take it that, like... That's where I think that the strength of this movie is, is that it is almost a juxtaposition of uh, a paper-thin James Bond plot against a almost unnecessarily complicated time travel mechanics and a, a very weird meshing of those two that mm-hmm. works for me on some level. Yeah. Um, uh Okay, I just thought of another point that I had earlier, but, like, it slipped away. Okay. Um, I like, specifically with the mechanics of this time travel, how it's not, like, not that it's not simple, but that, like, there's a cost to it. Like, you can't just go to a different point in time. Like, you have to, you have to go backwards. Like... You have to go in real time. yeah, Yeah, it's, it seems exhausting. Right. Like... Like, uh, we hear about how, uh, the, the two spies in this, how, like, they're supposedly friends in the past, uh, and he's like, you've got all that to come, but then I'm just thinking, like, okay, if he meets him, like, ten years ago, he's gotta go through, like, ten years of inverted stuff, too. And, like, I'm sure he's not doing that all in one road trip, so, like, I don't know. And, yeah, I mean, it could be them going back and forth. I mean, we see at the very end... He goes to kill the arms dealer who's there to kill Kat because she calls and leaves a message and then he shows up, which means he came from the future. He inverted himself and came backwards in real time from God knows when. Right. Could be years from now. You know, it would have been interesting if he got into the car and was like an old man. I, you know what would I mean? have like, loved that. Like, uh, I think and, that should have happened. Just sort of been like, yeah, I've been waiting for this call, and and you know, I one last loose end to tie up. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting all of the mechanics of it. But you're right, like the idea that time travel is not some quick fix. It's not like okay, we just jump back, we kill this person, and then we jump back forward. It's right. a it's a real like no no you you have to live this 
like life. And you have to live in a weird physics of the world mm-hmm. uh, that don't make sense to you. If, if you want to go back five weeks and not be noticed, you got to sit in a room for you gotta five weeks. You got to sit in a room weeks. for five weeks, yeah. right. And, and it's, it's a really interesting, you keep aging yeah. in order to go back. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, you, you try to get winning lottery numbers, but they're in the reverse order. So you get it wrong. (laughs) It's a really, it's a really cool concept. I think, I, I think Christopher Nolan brought something really original to the time travel genre in this. Yeah. And I like it. I, do you recommend this movie? (sighs) Okay, I'll just I, say, I don't know. Not not recommend because this is a hard movie to recommend. It is definitely not for everybody. I, I it's like when did an you, insurance like company is like, "Would you recommend us?" And I'm like, "I no, don't think you would ever come up in company. conversation." <laughs> right? Like, I I don't I don't want to recommend someone homework, but I think this is an interesting enough enough movie that I'll watch it again at cool. some point. That's that's great. That's a good review. I yeah. did like this movie. Okay. I don't know that I would make a blanket recommendation, but somebody who likes sort of intellectual, not that this is intellectual, I don't think it's highfalutin. No. It just, it requires you to think about things a little it's, bit. It's a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. So um, it's a little mind workout. In the same way that something like, somebody who likes Ex Machina, like Alex Garland kind of, kind of, uh, Think pieces, science fiction think pieces. If you like that stuff, I think you will, at the very least, find this movie interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think I would say like this is Nolan's best movie, but I I find it among his most interesting movies. I I also want to add. I think I agree with you. Uh, but I think. Uh, this is a movie that I would probably watch if there was, like, a director's cut. Or, like, if he completely, like, spliced the movie completely differently. Like, just played with it. Like, chronologically? Yeah, or, like, like that end fight sequence. I feel like there's a lot of different ways you could play with that. And I feel like it would just be cool to just edit together different Interesting. clips in different ways. Like, I, I would watch this movie rearranged and spit back out. Yeah, a di- bunch of different ways. I would actually, I'd be more interested in watching like a a director's commentary or uh, behind the scenes kind of things. I would, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really interested in like the practical because you know Nolan loves like practical effects. Yeah, and I I would be really interested to see how he filmed this movie because I, I think it's I think it's probably really interesting. Well, I want to know what's actually in reverse and what's right. staged and what's right. That's what um, that's what I'm talking about. Like the ship, the ship's going backwards, and the the helicopter shot comes around, and you see John David Washington doing pull ups, and then he comes down off the pull up bar and walks up the stairs normally, which means he's in reverse. Means when they filmed it, he came down the stairs looking natural, like like in the same exact. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing to have to train your body to do. It's, Take 508. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I do want to also shout out, John David Washington is great in this movie. I think he's super fun. And if you want to see him really being this cool in another movie, uh, Black Klansman 
He's he's great. Him and Adam Driver both freaking awesome in Black Klansman. Th- that's one of those movies that I just haven't seen, but I need to. I think you. I think you would really really like it. I think. Um, you're a big Adam Driver guy, and I, I think Adam Driver kind of steals that movie. His character is super, super interesting. Wow, Dad. Way to give props to the white guy. You know, I, <laughs> honestly, honestly... No, I'm just kidding. Look, I, I am going to say this because uh, they uh, Driver was up for an award for that movie, and I don't know that Washington was. Um, and And they kind of gave people shit about that. But John David Washington's character is... He's a black guy trying to infiltrate the Klan. His motivations are very clear. He has some conflict about being a cop and being black at the same... You know, uh, he's a victim of racism. His character is pretty cut and dry. Adam Driver uh, plays a, a Jew who doesn't want to get involved. His motivations are a little... You know, they kind of play on like, you're Jewish, don't you care about this? Don't you... You know, and sort of... Play around. His character, I think, is more complicated and probably more complicated to play. It's not that they both didn't give great uh, performances. I think Adam Driver kind of had the bigger uphill climb as far as, like, figuring out who this character was and playing the motivations in the right way. Yeah, I I see what you're saying there. I I, haven't seen the movie, but... No, I would uh, love to see John David Washington get nominated or or recognized a little more for that movie too because the other one that they called out was like oh Topher Grace is amazing and it's like yeah Topher Grace is good but like he's a distant third to those (laughs) other two it's a it's a really it's a really great movie and it bugged me watching this I'm like where do I know that guy from and it's like oh Black Klansman you know Hmm. uh cut the fro down a little bit and and it's yeah Yeah. has has he been in anything else his his filmography is pretty short uh nothing else that i was familiar with but um okay but maybe we'll see more of him in like the future i hope so he's he's great in this movie watch him be the next james bond uh i if idris elba i can never say his name Uh, if if he's not Um, available but uh (laughs) Yeah, he could be if they let Americans play James Bond. All right, he's I American. Kinda get. Um, but yeah, uh, John David Washington. Can't say enough good stuff about him in this. He's great, yeah. Smooth the operator, protagonist. The protagonist. All right, let's let's uh, let's close that out or we will just keep going forever. What do you got, Oss? Let's do some shout-outs. Shout-outs? Are we doing shout-outs? I was not prepared for this. Uh, my shout out is Bill Weathers, who doesn't really need a shout out because uh, he's pretty famous. But like uh, my boyfriend sent me a song by him this week because we kind of just send songs back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I will I listen to it. Yeah. Uh, but like I I know so many of his songs and I just yeah. never had put together but that they're all by the same person. So like. Ain't No Sunshine, mm-hmm. Lean On Me, Lovely Day. Like, these are, like, good songs that I, like, love listening to. I just have never, like, integrated them into, like, my personal playlists or, like, connected that they're right. by the same person. So I was uh, waiting for you to tell me, like, there's some YouTuber named Bill Withers that 
No? Yeah, just completely unreal. I'm like, oh, yeah, that Bill Withers. Bill Withers actually uh, really interesting because he kind of got fed up with the bullshit of the music business and kind of left it early. Just said, no, this isn't worth, you Good know. for him. And it was, yeah, he kind of did it on his own terms. But, like, yeah, those songs are just freaking classic. I mean, it's it's timeless music for sure. Yeah. Ain't No Sunshine is, like, great song. one of my top Absolute songs. Absolute great song, yeah. So, yeah, that's, I, I'm sure it's something that a lot of people, a lot of our listeners probably already know, but it's new to me. There's nothing wrong with, uh, with shouting out something new to you or just reminding people that something classic like that, you know, I, I do that all the time. I'll hear someone will mention a song that I haven't heard in years. That's an absolute classic. And I'll just go like, all right, let me check this out again. And I'll be like, oh my God. It like comes right <laughs> yeah. back. G- give it a fresh listen. It's great. Yeah. What what are what do you have this week? I am gonna shout out a new thing called Women on Mike. That is at womenonmike.org. Uh this is my friend Heather Welch. She is put together a collective of women recording audio samples on various microphones and she has done this because as a podcaster and kind of a a aficionado of of you know gear and and recording recording equipment she looked for reviews of microphones and found a lot of them but they were done by men and i think the idea of Women tend to have a higher pitch. Uh, you know, the different dynamics of a woman's voice as opposed to a man. It's like, oh, this mic works well for a man. Does does it do the same thing for... So uh, oh, wow. she recorded a uh, she recorded on, on her mic and talked about it and talks about, like, these are the qualities of my voice. I have... Uh, she's from New Zealand. She's like, I have a New Zealand accent. This is the mic I use. These are the settings I'm on. And that's what you're hearing right now. And women are starting to record and uh, send in. So that goes on like the YouTube channel and and things like that's that. That's really interesting. And it's a really cool way to collect samples for other women to use as a resource when they are looking for a microphone that would suit their voice as opposed to like my voice Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i've see i've heard of technology bias but that's new to me like i've mainly heard about i've never uh, thought of that either of course why would i you know i i've heard because it's not that the technology is like discriminatory it's just like the people who made it like the test group is predominantly like men or white like i've heard of a lot of uh facial recognition or uh like even like motion sensors searching for like light skin. And so sometimes you get like uh, hand dryers that just straight up cannot detect a black person's hand. Really? Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, So like stuff like that is interesting. Hmm. It's cool that uh, That she's kind of compiling a a sample size of what's the best. uh, 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 I, I was really impressed with it because it's like, um, a lot of people like to complain about holes in the market of, of one thing or another. 
And a lot of times I see people who make things complaining about that. And it's like, you make things. <laughs> Fill the hole in the market. And that's what she did. She got tired of seeing, uh, you know, there's something missing from, from this space. I'm going to fill it. So uh, I wanted to shout that out. Is is Do you know if she's planning on making like a list of like the best ones? I don't, I think is. Or is it just listen and see what the best one I, for I, you I is? I think it, it is a place to hear samples and decide what works for you. That's my understanding of it. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out. But if you are, uh, uh, I part of the reason I wanted to shout this out is... If you are a a woman who records, if you are a woman who has a microphone that you are happy with with your voice, uh, please check this out. Um, see about submitting a sample uh, so that you can contribute to making this a a broader database for other women. And I know this uh, is women. I you know people who identify as women, trans women, uh, whatever. It all goes into this place and is a place for women with all different voices to and all different equipment to uh, be able to kind of shop for a mic to have a resource for that. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, please, please check that out. And if you're a woman with a mic, please uh, contribute and and make your voice and your equipment heard there. Love that. On that note, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. That's right. Another way to help us grow is to tell friends. But the best part about telling friends is you don't have to tell them in any order. Feel free to tell them in reverse or uh, in the past. Who knows? The possibilities are endless. A lot of people don't know this. Very convoluted. I, uh, yeah, next week will be when I start going backwards to last summer and I tell myself to start the podcast. Oh. That is the, that is the genesis of this podcast. Okay. See, this is the second podcast episode I've recorded yet. (laughs) So Uh, so there's going to be some rusty ones in the past and future. It's getting, it's getting real wild there. (laughs) Austin, you've got the uh, wheel next week. What are we watching? I do. Uh, We are watching Bo Burnham's Inside. Not quite a movie, not quite a comedy special. It's something very unique, and I think it's going to be hard to talk about, so... Oh, cool. Uh, no, not, like... It's <laughs> I gonna can't be, wait. <laughs> it's going to be fun to talk about. It's going to be hard to follow if you haven't seen it, so... It's on Netflix, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's streaming, uh, so go watch it uh, ahead of time. This will so. be our second Bo Burnham thing. It will be. All right. Cool. Uh, social media, what do you got? I am... Austin and Rude on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, Old Who Review on Twitter. If you want to follow my more spam time, account. more time travel uh, uh, content That's right. from you. Cool. What about you? Uh, PhilRude.com. and from there you can get my social media. You can see all the uh, we got all the episodes here. You can buy art. You can buy art from the show. It is all listed there under the original art tab. Uh, and I will throw a bunch of extra stuff in that envelope. 
Ooh, so, uh, yeah. bonuses around. Clearing out the art room. That's right. Everything must go. Austin, you want to read the credits? Yep. We did everything ourselves. There you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. <laughs> we have the Mouse and Weens podcast. Mouse and Weens. I'm a big sister in San Diego with kids, and I'm married. And I have uh, no friends. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I do. I have friends. I just don't have any boyfriends or love. <laughs> anyway, Mouse and Weens podcast, you should listen to it. Yeah, it's, it's not really depressing. Fun. We talk about family stories, life and love, and kids, and all the things you're interested in. We promise. Yay! Celebrities in Hollywood, too. Poke your little turtle head out and come listen to us. <laughs> Mouse and Weens. Bye. Bye.